everybody. It's the weekly Coffee Time Conversations podcast from Gentle Parents Unite, Becoming Gentle, with Sujai Johnston, Vivek Patel, and me, Margie Zintz. So get yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or hot cocoa or whatever you love. Grab yourself a notebook and a pen so you can jot down your thoughts and questions. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Gentle Parents Unite podcast. You might notice that we're having a a little shift in our name. It just makes more sense to call it Gentle Parents Unite since that's what we are. This is season two, episode seven, I believe. Uh, And it's the usual cast of characters. I'd like to welcome Sujai. Hey, hey, Sujai. Hi, Margie. Have a vague. How goes it, my darling? Oh, wonderful. I'm enjoying my coffee at coffee time. <laughs> That's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. I see you're, I see you're following the guidelines here. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also like to say hello and welcome my dear friend Vivek. Hello, my friends. I am very happy to be here and amazed that we're on episode seven of season two. Wow. How do we do that? It's amazing (laughs) to me. It's amazing. I think this is the longest thing I've ever done consistently (laughs) that (laughs) I volunteered to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, uh, you know, you know, it's kind of cool to know that, uh, Sujai, you're, you're in, uh, Idaho. We're reaching you in Idaho. Mm-hmm. And Vivek, we're reaching you up in Toronto. That's right. And I'm I'm standing here in the kitchen of our little home in the Catskill Mountains of New York. So we're we're far away from each other, but yet we're close. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we're also united in that we're both standing in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yes. And I bet your kitchen window looks different than mine. <laughs> it does, but it's a beautiful view. There's tons of colors out there today. Yeah, yeah. We have a we have these burning bushes in our hedge, and they're and they it, it really looks like they're on fire. They're so gorgeous. Mm, I love those colors. Yeah, and I'm excited because we do have a couple of cool changes coming down the pike with our podcast. We're we're actually going to go public with it. Mm. And uh, the hope is that we reach a lot more people. We're going to keep our premium podcast premium <laughs> in that it'll be <laughs> it'll be available to the Patreon group for two weeks and completely ad free for the mm. first two weeks. And then uh, two weeks later, the rest of the world will be able to hear it and they'll They'll be hearing advertising and all kinds of things like that. So this is pretty exciting. It's a a really exciting change and something that I think will uh, help us spread the word a lot more. 
So today, episode seven, this is one of our conversation style formats in which the three of us do what we do best. Talk to each other. (laughs) (laughs) We're really good at that. And uh, we have some a couple of topics of let's see. So, Jai, you were going to talk about anxiety, which is a great topic. And I thought I would talk about handling criticism and how how we can do that. And Vivek, I believe you were going to talk about teeth brushing. Yes. Fascinating. Yes. Would you like to get us started with your thoughts about the noble tooth? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it won't. Getting me to talk won't be like pulling teeth. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I need a Uh, rim shot. Yes, might as well start with a dad joke. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this is one of the most one. It's one of the more common questions we receive. How do I get my kids to brush their teeth? Mm-hmm. And it's it's you know it's something that go that can run really deep for parents because because we don't want our kids' teeth to rot out of their face. And dentists will often uh, put so much fear into parents that they panic in a way. And when we're operating from a state of panic or a state of fear, it's really hard to slow down and tune in and think of a gentle way to manage things. And so many parents end up like holding their kids down and putting and like forcing that a toothbrush into their mouth. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, they're doing it because they love their kids. They're doing it because they're trying to protect them. But the the damage it does is is significant when that happens. Yeah. It's traumatic. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't promote a, a lifelong and self-motivated toothbrushing habit, you know? Right. Um, <clears throat> my, one li- my one-liner, which is probably one of my favorite one-liners about, uh, brush, about, uh, like that, about parenting that I've written, is that the question isn't, how do I get my kids to brush their teeth? The question is, how do I get my kids to love their teeth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I really love that because it takes the focus um, off of uh, it takes the focus off of the behavior and turns it more towards the relationship, the relationship kids have with their teeth. Um, and of course, uh, you've lovingly pointed out to me before that we don't really get someone to love somebody, right. but we can some themselves, but we can inspire them. Um, but I use the word get in the in the one liner just because it's catchier. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I hear that. I, and thank you for acknowledging that. That was uh, for sure. I had just scribbled that down. And now yeah, yeah. it's something yeah. I don't have to say. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it, was, it was a meaningful. Uh, it's a meaningful thing because even the I, mindset of trying to get is. Well, yeah. Is yeah. My, my feeling is that when I, we're trying to get someone to do something, <clears> it's <throat> it's coercive. At, <clears throat> underneath it all, it's coercive. And, and that's yeah. the antithesis of what we're trying to help our, our kids do, do. For sure, for sure. And, and, uh, and the fact is, you know, as, as parents, we, we have influence over our kids. We can't not, you know, because they're so open to us. They're, they're so connected to us. So everything that we do really influences them. And, 
using that influence consciously is very different than ignoring it and using it unconsciously. And, uh, and I think that is where this comes in, you know, because I mean, I know when I was, <laughs> when I was, a, when I was a kid, when I was like somewhere around the age of 10 to 14, those years, I hardly ever brushed my teeth at all. Oh, right? amazing. You have teeth. Yes, it is amazing. And I don't have a lot of cavities, so I don't know. Maybe my, my, auto my autonomy was stronger than the cavities. I don't know. Mm. But, but what happened was my parents, like I lived in a fairly coercive environment in general. And, you know, like I ra ran away from home. And I think this is not an uncommon story, but I ran away home from home first when I was like six years old. Yeah. And didn't really know how to get farther than around the block. But still, I was like, you know, I was I was out. I was like, this is not fair. This is not how people should be treated. I deserve to be treated better than this. I'm out. And at six, I had that awareness. Wow. So certainly, uh, certainly by 10, having my parents come into the bathroom, smell my breath every day and check the toothbrush every day, that just felt humiliating to me in a way, you know. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do is I would wet the wet the toothbrush, put a little toothpaste on it, put a little toothpaste in the corner of my mouth, and it would seem like I had brushed my teeth. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for years I didn't, and it was my little rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> the rebellion which only hurt you. Yeah. Yeah, oh dear. exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now my, my kid, who's like 22 now, she doesn't like to brush her teeth at all. She groans and moans about it. But she does it entirely on her own. <laughs> so much better. Like she reminds me to brush my teeth because she's so dedicated to it. Because she she says, but dad, it's your teeth. <laughs> I love it when she turns the wisdom back on me. It's your teeth, dad. You have to care for your teeth. Oh, my goodness. So there is this story I wanted to tell about this parent on GPU. And GPU is... By the way, for anyone who's listening who might not know this, is Gentle Parents Unite is a Facebook group which was started by and founded by the beautiful Sujai Johnson, who is uh, who's, uh, someone I admire and love so much. Thank you, Sujai, for, for creating mm. this whole movement. And if you're not part of Gentle Parents Unite, I recommend joining it. So <laughs> there was a parent a few years ago on Gentle Parents Unite who was going on about how they were like distressed because they were holding their kid down and jamming the toothbrush in their mouth and the kid was screaming and all this it was like it was like traumatic for everybody and i suggested listen just tell your kid that from now on try something wildly dramatically different tell your kid that from now on you're not going to force them to brush their teeth anymore because you trust them you trust their wisdom of their body. You trust that they want to care for their teeth. And you want to be their partners in that instead of forcing them. And from now on, you're never going to force them again. All you want from them is that they sit with you and have a nice visit while you brush your teeth. It's the only thing that you're going to, going to kind of ask of them. Mm -hmm. And even that, is, even that is optional, of course. But make it sound less optional. <laughs> and... and, uh, and and then, and then the second part of that was um, to start creating like a really positive experience around toothbrushing. So I said, if you can afford it, go buy a pack of like 20 toothbrushes from the dollar store. You can probably get a lot of toothbrushes for a dollar or two. Right. And just kind of ha have them around the house, make them a play thing, see if you can create sculptures out of it and just kind of start playing with it. Mm -hmm. 
Another thing to do is to start talking about teeth in general, about how beautiful they are, and point out the different times that they're useful without saying, and therefore you should brush your teeth, or even implying it. But just like, get, let's get thinking about this together. And then during the time that you're sitting together, where you are brushing your teeth, let the kid play with the toothbrush. Let them draw pictures with toothpaste on the mirror. Mm. Let them make a big, get it like, again, get a cheap toothpaste that they can just squish around in their hands and be sensory if they enjoy that. And just make the whole thing and talk about your day and, and laugh together and connect and make that time a beautiful connecting time without any pressure. So then about two and a half weeks later, they reported back. And what they said was, and this amazes me, and the kid is like, I don't know what, two or three years old, so young. Yeah. And so they reported that when they said to their kid, I trust you, I'm not going to force you anymore, I trust your relationship with your body, and I trust you to care for your teeth, and I want to be there to support you in it, that the kids started to cry and say, no, 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 it can't be true, no, no, no. There was like huh. this, this desperate thing, you know, like because the coercion had sunk so deep into this child's cells that the idea of the opposite was like mind-blowing to them. Yeah. And apparently for the first two or three days, the entire time was taken up with this child crying. They stopped crying after a while. They started relaxing. Then they started playing and enjoying the time and talking about things about their life. And it became this beautiful time together where the toothbrushing kind of became not even the point anymore. Yeah. And after two weeks, the kid looked up their mom and said, Mommy, would you brush my teeth for me? <laughs> and the whole thing shifted. Wow. And I suggested to her to even take more time with it and say, sure, let's start with just one tooth and one stroke. So even then, it wasn't this big invasive thing. It was just one tooth, one stroke, another tooth <laughs> the next day, the next tooth the next day. And then suddenly the kid was like just loving it after that, you know? Micro self-toothbrushing. <laughs> Ah, thank you. I so love you so much. <laughs> oh my goodness, another addition to the micro series. <laughs> too funny. Too funny. Oh, lovely. Yeah. That is so cool. This powerful message that I trust you. Mm. It it can come soon enough, and it's a, it's a very deep message that goes across all. It it's a thread that runs throughout our most important relationships, like the one we share with our kids, when we we are able to say, "Look, it's it's your body, and I trust you to have this relationship with your body." That's like it's so empowering uh, what is more empowering than that mm. early earlier Vivek you said of course we have influence over our kids how can we not mm. and I want to I want to change that uh, preposition from over to with mm. yeah. because the true power is when we have power and influence with our kids rather mm. than over them. sure yeah yeah, and, and letting a child know that we trust them, we trust mm. their love of their body and their love of feeling well and their desire to do well, and uh, 
that's when we have power and influence with them. Mm. Because now they're not making choices uh, that really have so much to do with us. It's not to spite us or to get in good with us or, or any of that stuff. It's, it's power for its own and choices for their own reasons. Sure. I don't know what's more powerful than that. Mm. When we act out of fear, we often bring about the exact thing that we're trying to avoid. So we decide that our children really need to brush their teeth in this example that we're talking about. And we have really good reasons for that decision because we don't want our children to suffer We don't want them going through painful medical procedures. We don't want their teeth to rot out of their head. They're they're very good, valid reasons. But the thing is, is that we fear all of these terrible things that could happen to our child. And that fear makes us act in ways that bring about the exact thing we fear. In this case, when we pin a child down to brush their teeth, then That child may have fear and trauma and discomfort and a lot of really unworked through things around brushing their teeth. So Mm. when it becomes time for that child to go out on their own as an adult and they're the only one responsible for brushing their teeth, they may or may not choose to go move past that trauma and continue to brush their teeth. Mm. And we find with fear that oftentimes it perpetuates the exact thing that we're trying to avoid. So in this case, if we can lean past the fear of our children's teeth rotting out of their head, which is a very valid fear again, but if we can Mm. lean past the fear and see what's behind it and see the Mm. ways around it, instead of trying to push through it, you know, um, Mm. sometimes we have to, adjust our sails so that our ship can sail through that storm, you know, and it, it's so important when it comes to these things that we have fear around that we're not letting our fear blind us to other paths, which is often what happens in these cases of fear. We know this is important and it must be done. So now we have to find out how to do it. And it comes from a deeper, more desperate place in our bodies. And that's what's motivating us towards a deeper, more desperate type of a resolution. Mm. Oftentimes, if we can look around the fear or pull back from the situation, our options and solutions were right there the whole time. Somehow we were blinded to them by these painful emotions that come up around the fear. Mm. Yeah, Uh, that's a very, very good point. And it's good to look back at our own, our own history of what traumas we might have around uh, managing our own hygiene, Mm. uh, you know, and, and being compelled or shamed into uh, whatever, you know, fear based thing. Now, I, I do want to point out that <laughs> we, we had this attitude about teeth when, when our son was little. We we called them starter teeth, you know. Mm-hmm. I always thought that the 
these uh, these kid teeth, they're sort of like practice teeth. Mm. You, and you want to get your uh, your tooth thing together uh, in time for when your permanent teeth come in. You kind of mm. want to have, have that routine down. But these teeth, these are starter teeth. And this is the time to fall in love with them, as you say, to figure out what routine feels right and good. Um, and one of the things that we can do instead of using our fear-based approach is to get playful. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a, I, if I find it, I'll, I'll link it. There's this really adorable cartoon of two obvious alien kinds of people, and they have this great song for brushing teeth, you know, and it's, they call them stones. You know the mouth mm-hmm. stones and they mouth you know, stones. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan, this is like Nathan Pyle, I think, is the, the person's I name. I yeah. think it's true, and it's a really yeah. great song. The song is looks like it's a fun song to sing, and it really talks about why teeth are so awesome. You know that they shred and they cut, and uh, um, you know it's cool when they don't hurt. You know because toothaches are a bummer, and uh, this is what we do. Every day, you know, to preserve our mouth stones and keep them good so that we can digest our food and all that stuff. That's inf- great information to have. And in the meanwhile, there are also other things that a person can do to make brushing teeth fun. Mm. And one of my favorites is using those disclosing tablets. Are you familiar with those? Mm. Those are those little pink tablets that you chew on that dye your teeth pink, uh, but it, it only dyes the parts pink that are where there's tartar or, or plaque remaining. And then you brush off the pink and you get rid of the, the tartar. And so that's kind of a fun game, you know. It's something, uh, and it's also very uh, illuminating. Like, whoa, mm. hey, that. That tartar, that's actually holding bacteria against my teeth. That is cool. I can actually do something about it. If you can't see it, it's hard to know that you can do something about it. So that's a fun thing. Mm. And I I also love the idea of getting a bunch of toothbrushes and getting really silly with them. When we take that play mindset, it really really, uh, allows us to open up our creativity, doesn't it? It sure does. Yep. Yeah. It surely does. And also making up songs about it, Mm. (laughs) you know, and uh, making up melodies and there's all kinds of fun things to do, you know, drawing a picture on the mirror with, you know, some sort of or washable marker and then brushing it off, you know, with a toothbrush. It could be a lot of fun. You know, drawing a picture of teeth. Well, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Shifting fear to play. I like that. It's not, not, I'm sure it's not an easy shift, but oh, it's a beautiful one when we start to get it. Yeah, and it's definitely not easy if, if you're not aware that it's a possibility. Mm. Then it's exponentially harder. Mm. But once you're aware that it's a possibility and you start looking for ways to be able to do it, it actually could become kind of easy. Mm. Especially if we invite our kids to brainstorm ways with us to make this more fun. Mm. 
what would make this more fun for you? Mm. You know, let's see what, what ideas come up. We never know. Beautiful idea. Yeah. It's one of the things that I used to really enjoy about problem solving with my son was asking him what ideas he had because he would always come up with things that I couldn't would not have thought of. And I, I wish I could think of one of them now for an example. I can't because it's a remote <laughs> situation. <laughs> it was a long time ago, but he would, I do remember that he would have these really great creative ideas for mm-hmm. how we could do something that I thought we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I would just put it the ball in his court and he'd come up with an idea and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that could work. I, I think we could do that. Mm-hmm. That would have fun. wanted to talk a little bit about anxiety. Would you like to talk about that now? Oh, sure. I could talk about that. (laughs) I thought about it because we were actually talking a little bit about fear. And fear and anxiety are definitely related. I think Mm. they're, I think anxiety is uh, fear's uh, evil twin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it can certainly feel like it. Um, I know that a lot of people, myself included, struggle with anxiety and even um, panic attacks. And when we have extreme anxiety, particularly when it gets to the level where we're having panic attacks, mm-hmm. it is really, really, really hard to maintain our calm, to maintain our gentle, to stay on that role that we work so hard to be on. Mm -hmm. Um, Anxiety very much has physical manifestations, much like um, other strong feelings they manifest in our body. Um, Mm. We can feel our anxiety in our stomach. We can feel our anxiety in our backs. I really wanted to just bring this up for people and kind of talk about some tools that are helpful when you're feeling anxious, ways that you can step out of that anxiety or help yourself manage that anxiety so that you can maintain that role that you try so hard to be on. I know the reason I wanted to talk about this this week is because I've had a particularly high anxiety week. And as I was going through my day, just um, the other day, I was thinking about the things that I do now when I'm feeling anxious that kind of come as a second nature. They did take a lot of time to learn and to implement them into my everyday life. Mm-hmm. However, now they just kind of happen. Um, I start to feel those manifestations in my body. For me, I like I was saying, a lot of stomach tension, a lot of back tension, a lot of tension in my neck and shoulders. And I get a really intense 
urge to cry. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helps me, and hopefully these tools will be helpful to some of the other people who are listening out there. It really helps me to get up and move outside to get a little bit more um, energy. That's great. Oftentimes, I notice that when that anxiety starts to kick in and I'm feeling it kind of low in my body, I'll begin to do things like cleaning the house and I'll be kind of moving fast about it. Um, I move a lot faster when I'm having anxiety than when I'm not. So it'll be more like a hustle and it might seem to an outsider that I even look a little bit upset or frustrated. Mm. Something emotional is going on with me, but it's that anxiety and I have to move really fast to give that energy a physical release. Another thing that I find really helpful can be focusing on my breathing. However, when we focus on our breathing, we have to be careful that it's not actually perpetuating because sometimes we get so focused on our breathing that <laughs> it can cause us to get up to this like hyperventilate type of a place. Ah. So it's it's really important to when focusing on your breathing, maybe count backwards and instead of while you're taking deep conscious breaths, instead of focusing on how deep that breath is going and um, counting for the intake and the outtake and making sure you're getting this full breath, instead just start that conscious breathing and then try to think about something that is peaceful to you, some kind of um, vis- visualization of a landscape or a place that is a comfort spot for you, maybe a waterfall. Um, it could even be just a comfortable person or a comfortable situation or something you enjoy doing. So you're not focusing on your breathing. You are consciously breathing, but you're also focusing on something that is peaceful to you and separated from the anxiety itself. Learning to manage anxiety is so hard, particularly because in the moment, a lot of times we don't want to reach into our tools. It feels like it would be a lot better to um, just go sit in a room and isolate ourselves, which is totally acceptable if we need to do it. However, it's not a huge reality for parents all the time particularly stay-at-homes that don't have a lot of support. Right. You may only get a 10-second micro to go sit in your room. (laughs) (laughs) And so then we have to learn how to continue on because that's what we have to do, right? And as hard as it is, that's the path that's in front of us. And I do totally absolutely with you if you need to go take a few minutes and take give yourself a time out to work through these big feelings but again I just want to acknowledge that that's not always a reality for us Um, for me another thing that I find that noise can really lend to my anxiety however it's not all noises and so I found that certain kinds of music are really helpful to me where, where some kinds of music might actually trigger that anxiety if it's too strummy or intense or it's got like these heavy moments in the music it it might feel like the drama 
moment leading up to the explosion that I'm already physically experiencing inside my body. Yeah. But if it's something that's kind of mellow and um, it goes out and it has a calming effect, it can also help our children feel more calm in that moment because they're feeling that music and the calmness of the music and they're swaying with the music opposed to whatever intense things they might have been doing directly before that. So it can be really helpful to everybody in the house to find a music that is comfortable, that feels pleasant and relaxing in order to help bring yourself back down to something that is more manageable. Now, I personally could experience multiple panic attacks in a day. Uh, and it's really exhausting. It, it yeah. just it takes it out of you when you finally relax and you've moved past it and your heart isn't racing as fast and you don't feel that impending doom. You are so exhausted. And again, that's another thing that's really hard to manage as parents. We don't have the leisure oftentimes to lay down and take a nap because we just had a two hour long panic attack. Mm. We don't have the leisure to sometimes take care of ourselves in the way that we need to. But we do have to find within the comfortable guidelines of our life and what it is ways that we can honor ourselves. So if that means sitting down and turning on the TV and having some screen time, you know, sometimes that's what it means and it's okay and it's acceptable. You you don't have to beat yourself up because now you've had a panic attack and now you just don't have the energy to do more and you should be cleaning the house and you should be this and you should be that. And yeah, you shouldn't be letting of, your kids watch TV. <laughs> yeah, I hear a lot of parents shaming themselves for, for when they need to use TV or something as a as a break or an escape or something. And it really is a it really is a valuable and valid coping mechanism if we need it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a tool that has its place. It's kind of, you know, parents talk about leashes as well as one of those things where <laughs> people are like, no, a leash is so horrible, it's shameful. But at the same time, it's a safety device and it's a tool that helps parents in situations that can help them get through the situation to the other side. Yeah. I would also I would also mention that if you're in a state where you're not in a very good place and there's a chance that you could lash out at your children, the TV is less damaging than you having a meltdown and yelling at your children. Here, 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 here. It's good to think of things in in hierarchical fashion. You know, choose if you have two choices ahead of you, one is yell or the other is flip on the TV. Yelling is more harmful than flipping on the TV, so flip on the TV. You know, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. make that spot choice and know that you're doing it consciously and you're doing it for a really, really good reason. You know, the next time you might say, okay, my two choices are flip on the TV or do jumping jacks with my kids. Mm. Do jumping jacks with the kids, you know, engage, you know. So, in other words, you always have two choices 
in every situation you have two choices. Pick the one at least. that is less har- harmful. At but, least, yeah. At least, but you know, if right, if you're in the in the midst of a panic attack, think of only two choices, because trying to think of five choices is too much. Mm. Just get two. What's yes. the least harmful Absolutely. thing? Yeah. Parent like no one's watching. <laughs> I I I really uh, believe that. You know, when you were talking about the use of a tether or a leash, as they're called. Calling it a leash is probably, the name is probably worse than what it actually is. It's a tether, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, we don't go out on a, on a spacewalk without our tether. Mm. <laughs> yes. Nothing shameful about amazing, that. Which is amazing you say, because the next thing that I wanted to offer folks is a bit of a tether. Mm. Um, cool. It helps tether you to reality and bring you back down. So when you're having an anxiety attack, um, I actually learned this from a local therapist that we see. When you're having an anxiety or panic attack and you're feeling really intense, this really helpful tool, and it's a little bit cumbersome at first, as most of these things are, but our brains are quick processors. And when we know we want to do something, we can kick into that mode once we've learned about it. So basically what you do in this situation is you link in to counting backwards and you link into your senses, which really has this amazing power to bring you down into reality. So the first thing you do is you tap into focusing your sight and you look around and you name five things that you can see in your mind. Okay, um, I'm sitting here. I can see a picture of a bird on the wall. I can see a picture of an angel. There's a little Pokemon structure tree thing that the kids like to play with and a whole bunch of toys. (laughs) (laughs) And you, you tap into that. And so you're grounding your sight into reality. And then you move on to the hearing. Can you name four things that you can hear? Currently, I can hear a truck going by. I can hear my little dog's toes tapping on the floor. I can hear little ticking noises in the background from this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And one more. I can hear my coffee pot doing that last little where it's putting out the um, last little bits of of, um, compressed water or under pressure water. (laughs) So you go five sight. Four here, and then three things you can touch. I can touch my leg. I can touch these rocks here by my fireplace. I can um, touch this wooden table and reach out and actually do that, the things that you can touch really close to you, because that helps you ground as well. Mm -hmm. And then we go down to smell, and smell's the last one, because oftentimes there's not that many different smells in an environment, but it also helps to ground us. Currently, I can smell some fresh coffee, and that's about it. (laughs) But when your brain goes through this process really quickly, once you learn how to do this, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're touching it, you're smelling it, and you're counting backwards because the counting also helps to ground you. And you grab those things, and they're literally bringing you back down to the reality in this spot and it's funny because 
it goes back to the fear discussion definitely is we have this sense of impending doom in our hearts when we're having a panic attack or a severe anxiety. And if we allow ourselves to think of the what ifs, well, what if I'm feeling this fear because my child who's at school is in some kind of danger or my spouse who's out of the house has just been in an awful accident or, you know, and we let those what ifs in, then we're leaning into the fear and creating more space for that panic and anxiety to take over our bodies. So the thing to do is to come back into our reality of our here and now. We haven't gotten a call from the school. We haven't gotten a call from the highway patrol office that there's been a terrible accident. None of that has happened. That's our mind playing tricks on us. Because mm-hmm. we're sure if we feel that impending doom, something horrible has to be happening out there. We have to find ways to not allow those what ifs in and find ways to anchor ourselves back down to the here and now to the, I haven't gotten any horrible doomsday calls. Everybody who's here is okay. So now I'm going to focus on me and what is real senses and counting together is such an amazing, helpful tool in those situations. Beautiful. And I just want to say, uh, you said before, we have to find ways. And I, I want to offer an alternative that we can choose to find ways. Uh, because sometimes thinking we have to do something may be a, a burdensome feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if we can shift that to... No, I can choose, I can choose right now to find a way to to crowd out the fear and the anxiety with some proactive steps. It's Mm -hmm. something I can choose to do. I have that power. I don't have to do anything. Absolutely agree, yes. Yeah, it it could be helpful. So (laughs) I, I thought of a couple of other things while you were saying all this magnificent information, Sujai, this is really some extraordinary stuff. Doing some mindful breathing can really help to, to calm your vagus nerve, which is the thing that is, is uh, out of whack when you're feeling so much anxiety and panic. And one way to do it that, kind of frees you up from having to think about it too much is to use a straw that will prevent you from hyperventilating because uh, you can take in a nice deep breath without the straw, but let it go through a straw. Mm-hmm. And that actually has the effect. And I proved it to myself with a heart monitor that I was, because I just wanted to see, how oh, does that really work? And I actually dropped my heart rate from 72 to 53, just doing that. How do you use the straw, Margie? I'm so glad you asked. What you Mm. do is is you take a nice deep breath Mm. and fill up your lungs, hold it for just a moment, and then hold the straw to your lips and let the air escape through the straw. 
Mm. It, it can only go as fast as that. It, so you, you can't do hyperventilating. Now you're letting this air out. Let all of the air out. Completely deflate your lungs. And then just take a normal in-breath. And just one of those will do the trick. Mm. I really think that's an amazing tool because it truly is, particularly in the case of anxiety and panic, it truly is a danger that when we focus on our breathing, we can raise our state into hyperventilating and get mm. ourselves into more of a state. So having mm. a tool to help blow out that air with yeah. that conscious flow is such a helpful tool. I'd never thought of that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's That's amazing. it's a it's a really powerful technique and it, it is helpful for a few things. It's helpful for when we're feeling anxious. It's helpful for when we're feeling nervous about something, like let's say we have to do some public speaking and we're we're feeling really anxious about it and we can't calm ourselves down, that breathing technique will work. It's also helpful to coach a child through. So mm -hmm. if the child is really upset, really anxious about something or feeling really stressed, helping a child, it's, of course it's gotta be a child who's old enough to let the air escape through the straw and, and you know, won't, we won't be putting a child at risk of eating the straw. But for <laughs> a slightly older child, that's good. It's very, very helpful. So if, if we have a child who's going to do, say, a, a music recital, let's say, that's an excellent technique just beforehand to help the child calm down. It literally slows your heart rate. So it's, it's very powerful. And you know, my uh, my family, we have three metal straws. They were two dollars each. Yes. And uh, and so it's 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 if we're if we're gonna like if we're if we have people that are like want to care about the environment, which hopefully is all of us. Yay. Um, and you, you can get you could get a you could get a um a metal straw, which is yeah, an option. They, they're selling them everywhere now, and they yeah. fold up, and you, so you can have them in your in your bag, you know, and uh in case that that's liable to be a thing out when you're out you know sujai when you were talking about the music something occurred to me i really like the idea of recognizing that like there are some musics that are helpful for you and some that can ramp you up and make it make it worse and i was thinking you know like the when we when we talk about creating like safe spaces and yes spaces for our kids which is like creating a space where they can enjoy themselves and not have to worry about things as much and just kind of it supports their their experience and we can do if we have things like panic attacks or uh you know things that are experienced like depression and things that hit us and and kind of not can can really uh affect our ability to to go throughout our day that if we know these things in advance we can set up things ahead of time as supports for us Mm -hmm. um if you know yes. if I, you know that's going to happen then you can have the music ready and you can have what something sensory ready and you can have something um like i know for me i got a concussion about a year and a half ago and so sometimes sound and light really overwhelms me uh still and so even uh even right beside my where i sit for my laptop I have some noise canceling headphones and a blindfold. So sometimes I just whip those things on <laughs> when I get overwhelmed and really? suddenly I'm gone. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, so I did a little podcast, um, just a little solo recording, I guess, with a written article just a few weeks ago for the Becoming Gentle group. It's called Honoring Yourself or What It Means to Honor Yourself. And I talk about that in there, about creating space for ourselves and using the tools that are available to us so that we don't constantly put ourselves in situations that are uncomfortable and too far outside our comfort zones. Now, I, I don't advocate that people just live with inside this bubble and never step outside their comfort zones. That's probably not the best kind of life. And life is all about balance. But we're constantly outside of our comfort zone. We very rarely even acknowledge our own comfort zone as something that is acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so finding those tools for us that help us, like the noise-canceling headphones and the blindfold, those are really, really helpful. And uh, I also talk about that for folks who struggle going out into public places, people who are introverted or really just can't handle the sensory input of large crowds, that they recognize ahead of time that, hey, I'm going to go into this large large crowd situation and it's going to be uncomfortable for me. So what have I got? Do I have an hour? Do I have two hours? Do I have three hours? I'm definitely not going to try and stay for five and five or six hours because mm-hmm. that's way past my comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we have to balance those things like, okay, well, yeah, I, I do pretty good for about two hours. And then after two hours, I start to spiral fast. So I'm going to plan to go to this event that takes me into this public crowded place for two hours. And maybe I'll plan for three because that's an hour outside my comfort zone. <laughs> mm. But but also take your tools along. Make sure that you're well packed and well prepared. Make sure you've got your baby carriers, your leashes, your strollers. But also make sure that you have your noise canceling headphones or some calming music or whatever it is your tools are that help you get through those uncomfortable situations. And Like I was saying, you can find most of that information in an article slash audio written article that I wrote a few weeks back for Becoming Gentle, which is which is Patreon dot com slash Gentle Parents Unite Becoming Gentle. Just for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. One thing that has been helpful for me and I have also noticed has been helpful for a space where uh, where people are, where anxiety can be can run a little high, mm-hmm. uh, namely if with a lot of kids, I have noticed that. And I know it's going to sound like woo, but that's uh, all right with me. I don't mind <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. using lavender oil in a diffuser can can be very helpful in a space. It can actually offer a calming effect that uh, I was surprised to see how effective it was when I used to have a lot of little kids around. And especially if the weather wasn't lending itself to everybody getting out of Dodge, you know, going outside, just having some lavender oil in the background really made a huge difference. I don't actually think that's woo. <laughs> really? I think that it's a I think that it's a a pleasant way to touch our own senses and so whether the lavender itself has any calming qualities which may be may or may not be debatable the fact that it puts a pleasant smell into your environment 
and brings your senses into a more pleasant place, that's a bonus. Well, that's what I have noticed anyway. Yeah. And it it may or may not. That may be debatable, but I'm totally for that it probably does. However, for those who are skeptical. (laughs) Well, it's worth it to try it. You know, you may, your mileage may vary on that. You may say, nah, this isn't working. Mm. (laughs) Or you may say, whoa, it's totally working. This is for me. So it's just an offer of an idea. So a a couple other things I just wanted to point out was a particular resource that we're offering on that Patreon group I I just told you about. We're actually starting a, uh, or we will have, by the time you hear this, we will have already started offering um, a weekly meditation group. And I think that that will also be very helpful in giving you, you folks listening, some uh, basic meditation skills that you can actually use anytime. And so that's something to, to look for. Yes. And it is absolutely meditation is absolutely very beneficial for those who struggle with anxiety, as well as those of you who may struggle with dysregulated emotions, explosiveness and explosive anger and frustration and exhaustion and as well as the anxiety that meditation is just an amazing tool for all of those things yeah read the read the post on the patreon group to learn more about it and there's plenty of links that you can follow if you're if you're not sure so that that can really help you learn more about what it is and why it's beneficial yes and i would point out that some people um, think that meditation may be a re- religious type of a thing and not um, really resonate with those religions. But meditation is not religious and, and can be compl- done completely non-denominationally. Yes. It's a human thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and good for all humans. Yes. Mm. Uh, and, and then there's, uh, I think I made one... Uh, two other notes while you were talking, Sujai, and that was uh, you, you had this really great exercise for you know, looking around, finding five things you can look at, four things you can uh, hear, three things you can touch. And that's a cool practice. And there's one other thing that you can do that sometimes can help shift your inner environment, and that is to look around Find something and find a way to feel gratitude for that thing. Mm. And mm-hmm. that is a pretty powerful thing. That has really helped me shift my whole inner environment. And it can be something as as mundane as looking at this lamp that I have in the kitchen. It's nothing special, but I can find a way to feel gratitude for it. I can find a way to feel gratitude for the light it shows. I can find a way to feel gratitude for how it it fits there so so perfectly or it's so efficient. Um, you know, things like that. Or I can shift my eyes just to the right and I can look at this basket of uh, potatoes and a couple of delicata squashes. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so grateful I have that food. You know, right there. It shifts. It, it can shift my whole being and it, it has a calming effect 
at least this gratitude does for me, and maybe it would for you as well. Mm. And then my one last thought, and then we're going to take a little break, is if you think it would be helpful, make a sign for yourself to remind you of the tools that you have when you're in crisis. Because sometimes mm. when you're in he like heavy crisis mode, it's hard to think of what you can do. But you might see a sign that says breathe, or you might see a sign that says gratitude, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know? Yes. Yeah, so having little signs like that all over your house, especially in the places where you find you can feel like you're in trouble, that, that can be very helpful. Ah, uh, yes. So I'm let's do that. Oh. <laughs> I love that idea. Yay, yay. I, imme I, I immediately started composing signs in my head as soon as you said that. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I did, I, you know, I used to have signs all over the house to remind me of what was what my choices were. Because sometimes mm. it's just hard to, to know what they are. Yeah. And, and uh, oh, I'm so happy. Hey, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about handling criticism. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. So, uh, criticism. You know, we've had a few people asking recently in the big group and in the little group. And it's a it's a question that comes up uh, often about usually it's a parent it's like a a mother or a mother in law or an aunt or a neighbor or somebody who's who has criticism for the way we're choosing to parent our kids you know don't hold that baby so much you're spoiling him or <laughs> right. Or, uh, you know, you're going to let that kid walk all over you. You know, sometimes a kid get, needs a good whack in the butt or whatever, whatever. Better get control now before they control you. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, you know, I could probably put it out to you. Give us five criticisms that you've gotten to 100 people. And we'll probably have like 500 different things that people say. And what do we do with that? You know, what do we do when, uh, especially for for new parents, for people who are new at this, they know what they want to do, they know the approach that they want to take, they want to be as gentle as they can be, they've done some reading, and this gentle parenting approach makes logical sense to them. They feel like, yeah, this is the right thing to do, this is, this is in alignment with who I am, this is in alignment with the way I want to be. And my sister is telling me, nah, you, you know, you got to let them cry it out. You just have to do that. Otherwise, they're going to have you wrapped around their little finger. Oh, my God, what do I do? Well, there are a few things you can do. One thing you can do is, as I said before, resolve to parent like no one's watching. And what I mean, you, did you ever see that thing, Dance Like No One's Watching? 
you know, where you just my favorite quotes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, it's my one liner to say parent, like there's no one watching. Uh, we are parenting for one person and that's the child whom we're parenting. We're not parenting for an audience. So even when we're out in the world, even when we're out in the supermarket and our kid is melting down for the reasons, the very good reasons that kids have for melting down, they never melt down for no reason. It's always a good reason, even if we don't like it. Then we are parenting for that child. We're not parenting for that person in the next aisle who's a, who's an adult who's got it all together and they don't need to melt down. <laughs> but this child does and this child needs someone safe to hold the space for them. So we're parenting for the child, not for that stranger. Uh, so that's one good resolution to have, something to keep in the front of our minds. I'm parenting for this kid, not that lady. One thing that really helps with that, because you know, when we often when we feel that judgment and it causes us to react, it's, it's often because our own childhood comes back when we were judged and we have it, it, it tends to like it tends to like cause us this feeling of like we're not secure and we're we're going to be losing the connection that we see you know it's our, our and then we have two struggling children instead of an adult mm -hmm. and a child and wow, so if we can give ourselves uh, empathy and compassion this is why the my micro self-compassion thing is so useful if we can give ourselves empathy and compassion for the pain and the stress we feel when we feel judged by others, it goes a long way to helping us not be controlled by it. Mm-hmm. So true. You know, I would also mention that parents also feel that they want to parent this way because it is heart-aligned. However, they don't have quite all of the pieces to back it up when it comes to being judged, so to speak. So if you go around, for example, and you decide, yeah, I'm not going to do cry it out. Cry it out is not for me. It doesn't feel good in my heart. I don't think it's going to be good for my child. I don't want to do that. You can also back that up by gaining yourself as much information on cry it out as possible. You go to Google and just dig in and get everything you have. So when somebody says something cliche to you, the comeback is right there on the top of your head because you have already taken the time to really understand. So when somebody says, well, if you don't let your kid cry, they're going to be sucking on your boob when you go, when they go to college. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and wow. you've I'm just, I'm, I'm just enjoying that visual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one. I love it. Um, oh, so um, if you arm yourself with the knowledge, then you can also speak up in a way that is really helpful to yourself and to the person who is placing that judgment upon you because they can learn something when you have an educated comeback that can state, well, in fact, working on a healthy attachment, which is built this way and studies show that healthy attachment is one of the greatest gifts that we can give our child. And not only will that kind of quiet them down, 
but they're, you know, they might just actually go look it up and learn a little bit about it. And next time you come into this conversation, you'll both be armed with a little bit more knowledge and tools to have this, this kind of discussion. And, and that's an effective thing for some folks. And for some folks, it's really not. <laughs> I'm sad <laughs> to say some folks are completely resistant to uh, mm-hmm. and, and we all know who those folks are. There are some <laughs> folks who are just not wanting to learn. They're not interested in learning. What they're interested in is hearing themselves speak. A lot of folks like that. And for those folks, remember that you are not here to educate them. And that can be freeing in a way. You are here to live your life according to your values, your ethos, the things that are in alignment with who you are. And you don't owe anybody an, ex- an explanation for that. You are free to live your life as you choose and to parent your children the way it feels right to you. Yes, it's true. Having a solid basis in that information which you can share that can be great. And it's also worth noting that some folks don't feel confident to do that. And it can sort of raise their own anxiety level at the thought of having to engage in a conversation about it. If that's, if that's you, if, if you, the listener, feel that way, know that you are not responsible for anyone else's education. And you don't have to convince them of anything. You still get to do things the way you do them. So one of the best ways that I know of to shut down a well-meaning advice giver who really just likes to hear themselves talk is to say, thank you. I'll take that into consideration. And then change the subject. It's kind of like the pass the bean dip thing. Uh, right. I I like the idea of changing the subject to something that you know is interesting to them, or maybe even something if you want to get rid of them, something that they're a little squirmy about, you know, like hey, how's that mural project going that you started uh, four years ago? How, how far <laughs> did you get on that? You know, sort of turn it back on them. And you can do that. The biggest point is you get to live your life the way you decided to live your life. You don't owe anybody anything. You are a a free person. And if that person continues to niggle at you, you can also, you're also free to um, abbreviate the visit. Yes. Yes. Honor yourself and know those boundaries. And again, um, if you find yourself in a situation that's uncomfortable repeatedly, know how long you can be in that situation. (laughs) Can I be here for an hour? Can I be here for two? Can I be here for three? You know, what's my limit? And make sure that you go in knowing your limits so that you don't get to your limit and go, oh, my God, I'm having a meltdown. (laughs) Right. Oh, my goodness, I'm having a meltdown. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, uh, a lot of times we feel that we have to attend every power struggle we're invited to. And the good news is that we don't. It's, we just don't. You know, I, 
I raised my son very differently than my parents raised me and my uh, my siblings. And I did not entertain any of their advice because I didn't I I wanted to go a completely different route. So anytime they would give me advice, which they soon learned not to, I would just say, oh, interesting, I'll, I'll check it out. And that was it. I wouldn't even talk to them about it. They eventually learned to stop doing it. And what was pretty powerful were two pieces of validation that I got from, from each of them. One was when my mom learned that I started this parent education slash coaching practice, she said to me, well, I sure wish that you had been around when I was a young mother, which was so surprising to me. But she, I came to learn that she was not happy with her approach to parenting, and she would have liked to have had some other kind of guidance. So that kind mm-hmm. of blew me away. And here you are mm-hmm. advising me, but you didn't really dig what you were doing. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one was my dad, who let me know, it was not too long actually before he passed away, that uh, he was he was really astonished with my son. And just very briefly, I, I home educated my son using a method called unschooling. And my dad said to me, you know, I always thought that you had to ram information down a kid's throat. That's a nice visual, hey? And, yeah. um, and, and so he was astonished when uh, my son learned to read and become literate and was able to do math and was able to be a, like a functioning human without having information rammed down his throat. And that was very validating to me. If I had listened to my parents and followed their advice rather than following my own guidance, I'd have a a completely different um, outcome. So I want to say trust your heart, trust your guidance, follow that guidance, and don't let anybody pull you off of it. Right. Um, That's what I was thinking as you were talking. Just don't let anyone confuse you. (laughs) Right. And it's so easy to happen to just they come at you with these things and the confusion sets in and you kind of standing there going, whoa. uh." (laughs) Yeah. I, I just want to leave you with this one piece of information. When I was younger, I became a La Leche League leader and there was a one year training that and it involved correspondence with a mentor and my my mentor talked to me about parents intuition and she said what that is and this has served me my whole life she said what that is it's a tiny voice inside you that is it, it's your wisdom and we all have it and it starts out as a very small voice And if we choose to listen to it, it gets louder and louder and louder. And if we choose not to listen to it, if we ignore that little voice, it gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And you have it, you the listener, you have that tiny voice. And I believe that 
when you're listening to these podcasts, you're holding space for that for that voice. And the more you listen to it, the stronger it gets. And one way that you can shut it down is to doubt it, is to is to second guess it through the conflicting information you get from other people who who are not you and who don't have a stake in your life. So mm-hmm. your sister-in-law, your father-in-law, that lady at the next aisle in the checkout lanes at the supermarket, none of these people have the skin in the game that you do. Listen to your voice. There yes. we have it. <laughs> yes, absolutely beautiful. Trust your intuition. I, I feel like a lot of people likely don't trust their intuition, mostly because of our conditioning. We've really been taught to second guess ourselves. And yeah. oftentimes that, you know, no matter how right we are, we're wrong. <laughs> yeah. So um, learning to trust that little voice can be a process all in itself, though it is a very, very powerful thing to go ahead and do. It, it's true, and and it's cool because you get endless opportunities to to do that and to f- see what that feels like, and to and to allow your voice to 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 get louder. And it's wonderful modeling for our kids too. Sure is. Yeah, beautiful yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. So, folks, I, we are actually out of time, and and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna say goodbye. And uh, I, I want to let you know that next next week we have a very special guest who I'm very excited to have on our interview series. We'll be speaking with Lilia Schott, uh, a, a, a brilliant woman kind woman mm. and um, I love her I am so yeah. looking forward to this interview yeah mm. yeah yeah her uh, her her uh, parenting page is synergy gentle parenting resources so you can definitely check her out before uh, the podcast lovely yeah. lovely all right friends this has been a joy spending this time with you as always Vivek and Sujai. Definitely. I love you guys. I love you too, Margie. Thank you for the very inspiring discussion today. Yeah, I love you both. I love you guys. And uh, we will catch you guys next week. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. And I love you too, Vivek. (laughs) Yeah, I love you too, Margie. Uh, Sujai. Yeah, I told you, Margie. Oh, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Alrighty, that's the show. Thanks for listening. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we spoke about today, or even something we didn't talk about, send them to any one of us during the week, and perhaps we'll be answering yours on next week's pod. So tune in next week and every Tuesday to hear more from Sujai, Vivek, 
and me, Margie, wishing you a gentle and enjoyable week full of love and learning. Be well and be kind. Bye-bye.